0: Clappy Clappy makes you happy and we're back (laughs) all right y'all that was uh that was a whopper a whopper of a podcast that I've had brewing in me for quite some time um of course speaking of the Red Pill solo cast that was just released last week um again there's going to be a lot of questions that arise from that and if not from the podcast itself um I hope there's a lot of questions that arise from that. That means there's a, at least a sparked curiosity. With that, if there is a sparked curiosity, hopefully there is a thirst for more and you dive into those show notes, read some of the books that are applicable, right? Um, applicable to what you're willing to, to learn at this point in time. But still, I want more communication between myself and the listeners, And so I would really love it for y'all to continue writing me, um, at living with the Kingsbury's on Instagram, hit us in the DMS, or if you are on Zion, just search Kyle Kingsbury in the community page. That is where pretty much everything will be going in the future. Um, all of me, all of JP Sears, all of many of the great people that are, that are logged onto that. And, um, like I said, it can't be taken down. Listen to my podcast with Justin Resvani for more on that. But anywho, um, it's it, it's where I'm able to talk completely uncensored and not worry about a damn thing. My podcast lives there and will live there forever. And uh, we can post videos, we can share, we can tip each other money, 100 Satoshis or more, whatever, you know, we're talking about fractions of a penny. Um, so the like button is you tip somebody a fraction of a penny. That's pretty cool, in my opinion. It's better than a like button. So lots of good stuff over there. Um, Really hope you all found that useful. As it turns out, I already had two more in the can. I've got Jared Picard right now, and I've got Dr. Nathan Riley coming up. Um, Two people that I've become very close with in a very short amount of time. And another head nod uh, from spirit or source or whatever you want to call that. Another head nod from God, in my personal opinion, in that... Um, what's been coming through in the deeper journeys that I've done breath work, plant medicine, and otherwise is that because we're all interrelated, I'm already connected to the masters and the people that are walking the path and I'm already connected. And and so are you, I'm not special. I'm not, I mean, I'm I'm unique just as you are unique, but, uh, I don't have gifts that y'all don't have. Um, this, these types of things are accessible to everyone when, we live the four doctors, we find our center, and we tune into the field. So as I have been tuning into the field and walking the path, uh, one of the messages that keeps, kept surfacing for me was, was hey, I'm, I might be a jack of all trades, but an ace in none, but there's only one degree of separation from the aces. And this was proven to me time and time again. So, you know, I, I, I sat with Jason Picard at Paul Check's uh, 60th birthday and um, really got to know him on a deep level. And um, uh, Dr. Nathan Riley as well, who who will be on this podcast next week. Of course, we've already recorded that. And soon after I recorded with Nathan, he introduced me to Jason's brother, Jared, Jared Picard, who is, was out here for the room event alongside Nathan with Ben Greenfield and, um, Man, the other guy's name is slipping my mind, but I want to get him on this podcast. Joe something. Y'all probably know him. Um, but, uh, you know, more, I have so many things on my plate right now that I got to learn. Off-grid living, sustainable housing, green housing, um, biodynamic farming. It's a big one. And, uh, and really, all of Steiner's work. You know, anthropo- anthroposophy. There we go. Anthroposophical <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> um it shows how green I am when I don't even know how the fuck to say it. But, um, biodynamic farming is at the top of that list. And so Dr. Nathan Riley was like, Hey man, I got, I got a buddy that's in town. Uh, I want to intro you to him. I think you guys will hit it off. It's uh Jason's brother, Jared. And I was like, dope. What's he into? And he goes, well, he's got a 300 acre biodynamic farm at Mount Shasta. I was like, get out of town, dude. Are you serious? So we spend a great deal of time on this, but I mean, obviously I could talk with Jared about many things. He, he has a wealth of knowledge, um, fantastic human being and um very very uh his knowledge and wisdom is very useful in times like this where we really do um need a fair amount of us to support that type of farming and agriculture for our own personal health for our family's health and for the planet itself and really to to not let these the this ancient wisdom slip through the cracks um One more tidbit I forgot to say on the Red Pill solo cast was that Bill Gates now owns more farmland than any other person in the world. And this is recent. He purchased some hideous amount of farmland, I think in Arizona and some of the other Southwest. And this is a guy who is one of the owners of Monsanto. You know, so it's not somebody who's like, yeah, let's do it regenerative. We're gonna heal the earth. This is a guy who is actively destroying it. And I'm not sure if that's intentional or not, Um, It may be, you know, he's talked about overpopulation quite a bit. Um, All that to say, you know, anytime I bring up this dark stuff, there is light, whatever dark exists, there's equal and opposite. The equal and opposite is always true. And Jared is the equal and opposite of Bill Gates. Now, that's a really strong compliment from my, from my standpoint. Um, The work he's doing in the world does matter. And so we really dive into uh, a great deal of what it means to farm biodynamically, what Steiner was trying to propose when Steiner brought this to the table. And that was very interesting and fascinating to me. I, I, I for sure, am going to have um, Jared back on, I am going to go out on a limb and say that we're going to have a, um, a pretty tight relationship, you know, uh, for the rest of our lives. There's no doubt. And not just from this podcast and sitting with him, but because, um, Anytime I meet somebody where I feel there's a, an equal playing field and in, in, in then I obviously have you know, the things that I've, I feel um, equivalency with and I have a, a certain degree of having been a student for long enough that I can teach it, um, I love meeting somebody where there's just a whole world of information and knowledge and wisdom that I can learn from. And uh, Jared's just a beautiful guy. They, their farm is called Be Here Farm. And, um, they have a product that is incredible. And, you know, the show isn't about his product. I have a lot of guests on who have products and that's usually not why I bring them on. You know, even if they're a sponsor, it's just, I want to know them. I want to, I want to get their story out. And they also have some cool shit. His product is really cool. and he talks about how it's made and it's one of the coolest things. I mean, I won't, I'm not going to spoil it. He definitely dives into it, but it's like, wow, like the amount of energy that goes into that I'm not saying work or sweat from human energy i'm saying the amount of energy from the cosmos to the soil that's implanted into that product makes it what it is it's a summer solstice serum and it's his entire farm in a bottle so i'm just blown away by this stuff um really 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 cool guy um, and I know you guys are going to dig this one. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. I know I t- I've mentioned, I've got Mickey Willis coming back on. I'm going to try to get Dell big tree here before the end of the year, at least early next year. Uh, I, they're definitely worth having on at least once a year, if not twice a year. I mean, all my, most of my guests are, I shouldn't say all, most of my guests are people that I want to have on at least once or twice a year, whether they're pointing out some of the hard truths or whether they're already in the service of, um, making things right and doing it correctly and, and, uh, living in harmony with all that is. Jared is living in harmony with all that is. And, um, I'm just going to leave it there. We'll jump right in. We've got black Friday deals pretty much across the board. It's, it's funny, we just had, we just had, uh, Halloween and if anybody's gone into a store, like home Depot or any of these places, like they skipped Thanksgiving, <laughs> they went straight to fucking Christmas. I was like, wait a minute at least they're not playing the music yet, but this is absurd. Like there's no, there is absolutely no fall decor anywhere. It's all Christmas lights. It's all toys and presents. And I'm like, man, this is <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Fauci's going to cancel Thanksgiving. And they, they, they are the big corporations already know it. So like, let's just get as much Christmas stuff sold. Uh, so people can buy their way back to happiness rather than having friends and family around, which is the true happiness, the true wealth of Christmas or any other holiday this season is each other's company. So maybe, maybe that's it. And maybe I'm just thinking too far into this, but either way, we've got some cool, cool sales going on. And, uh, this product is, or this podcast rather is brought to you by super speciosa. Super speciosa is my favorite, 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 favorite Kratom product on the planet. And uh there's a number of reasons for that. Super Speciosa, the strain is their most popular best-selling item. I think it's fantastic. It is a very high content of the Mitrogena Speciosa is the the um active ingredient as far as I know. I could be wrong on that. I'm not looking at the label right now. Um, it's potent. Let me put it that way. And I think that's why it's their most favorite. There's a number of other strains that I really like. And, and you know, Kratom is a lot like any of these other plants. Um, psilocybin, which is a fungus, not a plant. And I suppose they're more like animals than plants. Um, has a wide variety of strains. Cannabis has a wide variety of strains and Kratom does as well. And each one has different properties. Sometimes they're higher or lower in the active ingredient, just like cannabis can be higher or lower in THC. But just like with cannabis, there's other terpenes and alkaloids that make it rich in different properties. Some of which can be sedative, some of which can be uplifting. And the same is true of Kratom. You know, If you play with these different strains, you're going to find that one might help you go to bed at night. Well, one might uh, give you a lot of energy during the day and be perfect for a pre-workout. And there's some of them, um, and again, each person's neurochemistry is different, right? So what what I tell you that's my favorite might not be your favorite, and that's totally okay. The microbiome impacts that. How our body breaks it down and absorbs it on the gut level before it enters the bloodstream makes a big difference as well. And you don't know until you try. So try these out. They've got 100-gram uh, bags, they've got capsules, and they got big boy bags too. So when you know what you like, you can order uh, a gang of it. I'm, I'm trying to get this Red Bali by the kilo, and it's, it's my favorite strain by far. I can use it pre-workout, I use it pre-podcast, I'm on it right now. Um, I certainly uh, love it as a nightcap as well. And of course, there's times where I don't, I'll go you know a week without having anything just to reset myself. And there's no real bounce back for that. I think uh, if people have heard of horror stories from people jumping off of kratom or other plants, it's usually the high-dose extracts. It's not the actual whole plant. you know. And, and again, I'll make that point. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. It is not plant medicine. Coca-leaf is plant medicine, and it's been used for thousands of years in the Andes in, the, in uh, Peru and Bolivia and all over the place in South America because it is a medicine, because it can help with altitude sickness. It's a performance-enhancing drug. Kratom's a performance-enhancing drug. It's absolutely cr- incredible, but there are some that are going to knock you on your ass and some, and you feel great, you know, but there's some that are going to be uplifting. So just play around, figure it out. They've got uh, red strains, green strains, gold strains, super strains. They've got all in between the ultras. The ultras are, they pack a big punch as well. Mengda, Bali, Thailand from all over Southeast Borneo, uh, all over Southeast Asia. This stuff grows naturally. It is absolutely incredible. They put no fillers in it or anything else. Um, It's just one of the coolest things on the planet. It helps you feel good without feeling impaired. There are very few things that can do that for you. Um, a lot of people use it for pain relief. It certainly helps with mild injuries. And one of the things that I love about it is that it helps me get into my body. It helps with what Arnold talked about as the mind muscle connection, you know? So I, I, when I'm lifting weights or when I'm stretching and doing yoga, I can actually breathe into those spaces that are a little sticky, you know, where the old injuries lie, where my body's, um, you know, the, the squeaks and the hinges, (laughs) so to speak. And it just loosens me up. It's a really awesome way to connect to myself. So, check this out. They've got 100% satisfaction or your money back guaranteed. And I, I would double that. Like, there's no doubt you're going to love this. You can try them and get 20% off your entire order if you go to get slash KKP. That is G E T S U P E R L E A F.com slash KKP. Get slash KKP for 20% off your entire order. That's a hell of a deal. Um, the code recently changed. Um, so that the audience can use it again and again, even if you've already purchased. And this is an important deal, right? I mean, some of my sponsors do like a one-time deal or first-time deal. I'm not a huge fan of that, if I'm perfectly honest. I want this deal to run indefinitely. And uh, so if you're listening to this 10 months from now, this should still work. And um, they have, uh, you know, for this month only though, we've got some Black Friday action. For the month of November only, they're doing Black Friday all month long and extra 20% off. So instead of 20% off, the audience gets 40% off. This is really exceptional. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been buying certain things um, in case the grid goes down or in case we have another snow apocalypse, or just in case shit hits the fan, because you're not going to access that. You know, Rob Wolf mentioned the book One Second After, where an EMP goes off in uh, the upper atmosphere and it shuts down the grid for, you know, 10, 20 years you're not going to be able to get medicine. You're not going to be able to get a lot of things that you need. So it's one thing to store water and bags of rice and um, you know have a freezer full of meat and a generator. It's another thing to start to think about what are some of the plant medicines that I'm going to need that I might not have access to. So uh, every time I order from these guys, I'm ordering extra. That way I can throw a little bit extra in the pantry um, for a rainy day. And I don't think that's a bad practice uh, with anything in life. You know, as, as Rob Wolf mentioned Every culture throughout history used to prepare for a long winter. It was just common practice. And now you get flagged for it on Facebook. If you are trying to research how, how to do your own canning or food preservation, it's like <laughs> fucking bizarro world. Anywho, check it out. Get superleafcom slash KKP. What I'm getting to is order as much as you can while it's 40% off. You're never going to have a deal like this again until next year. It's um, just, it's just It's just phenomenal. And you can order a whole host of different things and try them out. And if you don't like one now, you might like it as you adjust to create them. And yeah, yeah you'll be able to love it the way I do. Check it out. We're also brought to you by Organifi. Uh, we've had Drew Canole, the CEO and founder, or not CEO, but founder of Organifi on this podcast before. I'm going to go on his podcast sometime this week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Drew's one of my favorite humans on the planet. I mean, he is incredibly spiritual. He knows exactly what time it is. He, he is the, one of the quotes that I read in the, um, Uh, on the solo cast, he's, he's that in a nutshell, you know, he has balanced the spiritual awakening with the mental awareness of actually what's, what's attuned in the world. And, you know, this company really started out, um, through Drew wanting to help people. They were doing a lot of juicing. They were helping people with different forms of fasting and, um, you know, yoga and and fitness and getting people in tune into their bodies and eating organic and the importance of that. And then he launched this, like, look, it's a pain in the ass to juice. We want you to get the superfoods You're not going to get in your diet. And here's how we're going to do that. And, um, They've done such an incredible job. They they have you, they're really trying to unite the world through health and wellness by providing access to high quality nutrition, education, and community. And I really love that. Um, they're more than a superfood company. They're our lifestyle with roots and transformational coaching. Uh, they discovered the power of mindset and community in creating sustainable change. When we take care of ourselves, we elevate our own sense of awareness. We elevate our own sense of being and we allow ourselves to operate at the highest frequency we can. We're just the best version of ourselves. That's that's all there is to it. And products like Organifi really help me to do that. They have high quality ingredients, they use no fillers, they are USDA certified organic. They never use GMOs. And the greens is one of my dailies. You know, I've been mixing it with kratom. Uh, it's, it tastes amazing. There's 11 plus superfoods that reset the body and help you feel amazing. It takes just 30 seconds. No shopping, chopping, juicing, or blending. One of the key super ingredients that's in here is, is ashwagandha, which is an adaptogenic herb that's been used in Ayurvedic medicine for millennia. And they put a whopper in there, 600 milligrams Of clinically proven ashwagandha, which will help manage and reduce cortisol levels. This is stress management from a a biochemistry standpoint. Obviously, you got to do these other practices, quiet mind, stillness, going to bed on time, all these other things to help manage that. But super important that we have things like this in times like this. Uh, It can help reduce food cravings. It tastes phenomenal with just plain water. I can do cold water, plain water, room temp, doesn't really matter. Uh, I add it to other things. Sometimes I'll add it to shakes and it's just, it's just an amazing superfood and it has a whole bunch of other stuff in it. Moringa as well as ashwagandha chlorella, which helps you detox and bind to nasty heavy metals and come out of the body. All this good stuff and more. Uh, The gold, as I've mentioned, is my favorite product at night. Helps me wind down. It has lemon balm extract, a high dose of turmeric. Tastes great with straight up Coconut cream from the can. And I like to have that hot. Check it all out. www.organifi.com slash KKP. That's O R G A N I F I.com slash KKP. And use code KKP for 20% off. Check this out. Black Friday sale at the end of the month, November 26th through the 29th. And they're extending it through the 30th. So the 26th through the 30th, you have to add the code KKP at checkout. You're going to get 25% off everything plus free shipping on orders over 100. This is the best sale they've ever done. The biggest savings ever. They've never done this before. So check it out, organify.com slash KKP and load up. Like I said last week, I mean, I, I'll buy six at a time. I like the bundles. I'll buy six gold at a time, six green at a time, and just make sure you add that KKP at checkout so they know that I sent you. We're also brought to you by 8 Sleep Pod Pro Cover. This is... um perhaps one of my favorite biohacks on the planet, if it is, if there is such a thing, one of my favorite pieces of technology on the planet. This holiday season, give yourself or a loved one a gift that keeps getting better night after night. Have you ever heard that you need to sleep at 68 degrees Fahrenheit? Well, that's a myth. Science suggests that there is no one universal sleep temperature to give you deep, high-quality sleep. Moreover, our sleeping temperature needs to change throughout the night as body temperature affects both your circadian rhythm and your sleep quality. However, the average mattress actually absorbs your body heat, giving you those nasty night sweats and causing restlessness. Who wants that? The Pod Pro by 8 Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. It comes in the form of both a mattress or a cover you can put on your existing mattress. That means you don't have to buy a new mattress. Get the Pod Pro and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees or as hot as 110. Now, I don't know anybody that's gonna sleep at 110, but the point is that both of these sides will adjust. So if your wife or your partner likes to sleep a little warmer and runs cold at night and you run hot, typical for most male to female combinations for the heteros out there, Uh, This is one solution that actually works. And um, it's a phenomenal solution. You don't have to keep your AC. Like in the summertime here in Texas, like our AC is running. I don't have a, a, a very, it's a new house, but it's not incredibly well built. It's pretty cheap and there's not great insulation in there. So if we're sleeping on this, when we sleep on this together, we're able to not keep the AC pegged at 66 degrees, we can actually get into bed and both of these things adjust throughout the course of our sleep to give us the best night's sleep ever. The temperature of the Pod Pro adjusts on both sides. So check that out. There's nothing like it. The result is eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster. They reduce sleep interruptions by 40% and get overall more restful sleep. This is one of the most important solutions for Dr. Quiet, as I've mentioned in the past. And this is a way that we can really tune in and get the most out of our days. This is one of the ways that we fill our cup first. And if you're looking for technology and things that actually make a difference in weight loss and uh, mental performance and work performance and recovery from workouts, there's nothing better than enhancing your sleep. So check it out, eightsleep.com slash KKP. That's E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P.com slash KKP. And this Black Friday and Cyber Monday, you're going to get one of the biggest sales of the year. So check this out. Head on over, 8sleep.com slash KKP. Check it out for this this Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You're going to save on the biggest sale of the year. Last but not least, we're brought to you by paleovalley.com. Paleo Valley beef sticks are one of the coolest things on the planet. They are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Many on the market claim grass-fed, but they're actually finished on grains. And a lot of those grains are genetically modified and contain a... Boatload of glyphosate. That's why we genetically modify organisms. They source beef from small domestic farms in the United States of America. They use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors often made from GMO corn. They ferment their sticks, which creates naturally occurring probiotics, which are great for gut health. You're not going to find this in any other beef stick. They taste amazing. My entire family loves them. Bear and I eat them on the road. We've got a really cool road trip coming up uh, a la Clark W. Griswold. My uh, brother-in-law's getting married out in Arizona and we're going to um, take an RV all the way across the country over there. And I'm super pumped. And we're going to have the RV loaded up with Paleo Valley beef sticks because it's something we can have anytime we need a snack. I know it's one of the healthiest things we put in our body. When you think of stuff that's from a shelf, I don't typically think of it as a health food, but everything from Paleo Valley fits into that. It is an exceptional product. Like I said, 100% grass-fed, and that means it's got higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins, and minerals. So the micronutrient content is improved. Glutathione, which is the master antioxidant, CLA conjugated lignolic acid has been touted as the fat that burns fat and touted by bodybuilders for many many years, and it's a very high highly bioavailable protein. They're also keto friendly and, as I mentioned, a great protein rich snack to grab on the go. Uh, I've got these stuffed in my backpack right now. Anytime I travel for podcasts, that's always there. So if I'm if my stomach's gurgling and I need to get something to me quick, I have a Paleo Valley beef stick and uh, some water, and I'm good to go. These guys refuse to cut corners. They prioritize health over profit. They use conscientious processing and manufacturing, and they source only the highest quality ingredients available. They've got a ton of other great products there. Check it all out at paleovalley.com and use discount code KYLE for 15% off. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com and use discount code K-Y-L-E for 15% off. And without further ado, my dude, Jared Picard. All right, we're clapped in. Jared Picard, we met at Paul Czech's 60th birthday. And as I was stating before, we had some audio difficulties. Uh, hopefully, these new mics work differently. Um, it's funny how many people I meet or come on this show from Paul. And we've got a couple of friends that I got to meet at Paul's as well that are here watching us. Uh, I met your brother out there, Jason. And you're talking about you know this similar story. Paul always described me or described Jason to me as somebody who's worked with him the longest out of anybody and, and how he's, you know, a master in his own right now. And, you know, was the guy that turned Paul onto biogeometry and I'm like, no shit. That's how you got into, get into that, you know? And uh, obviously we've both got some biogeometry gear on right now. Um, but talk a bit about your, uh, just your life growing up what led you into the work that you're doing now and, and really the the rebound health wise, because that kind of paralleled with your brother.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny, Paul, Jason now gets mentioned on Paul's podcast. Like I just heard the episode you guys, uh, you just released and, uh, I heard Jason Picard on the podcast and I was like my brother, but historically he's always been mentioned sort of anonymously as Paul's longest client or this very long standing client. And, um, This journey that he's had with Paul has been um, something that caught my eye pretty much right away um, because my brother went through a huge transformation. And it wasn't even, I don't think it was from having met Paul so much as being introduced to Paul's work at first. So we met somebody who was a Czech practitioner in New York City. When I say we, I really mean my brother. Um, My brother sort of saw one of his friends work with a Czech practitioner and uh, go through a pretty serious transformation. And then he started working with him at the time. um, My brother, um, you know, who should get on one of these shows and tell tell his story, but um, he was um, really quite ill um, health wise. Um, Not that like he was, I'm sure he was having some actual present health issues, but it was more of the fact that he was extremely obese and was starting to, if not cause health issues, certainly would over time. Um, And it wasn't really slowing down the the pace of his health deterioration, let's say, Um, professionally uh, and socially, he was kicking ass. Um, And so it was sort of a wake-up call to realize, wow, even with all this amazing stuff going on, I feel absolutely terrible. Um, So when he started working out, um, and I suppose working in, uh, once you know the whole picture, uh, which is probably what he started with for, I would guess, six months or something like that based on the condition he was in, But um, I basically saw him drop a bunch of weight. And weight has sort of been the barometer for health in our family our whole life. It was like, oh, you're fat or you're too fat you're too overweight. Like for me, I was on the football team growing up. Um, Later, lacrosse, thankfully, which didn't have weigh-ins. But the football team had weigh-ins. And it was to make sure that some huge kid wasn't crushing some little kid because people grow at different rates or whatever. But it really hardly ever seemed to impact you know, the six foot, seven foot tall monsters, because everyone was more or less similar heights. It was really just the fat kids. And so me and the other seven or eight fat kids on the team and our fathers usually, and the referees and uh, the coaches would weigh in before a game and you'd either be able to play or not. And you were always within a couple pounds of the limit because that's how much you weighed. And I was getting... No real, like from what I know now, no real advice on health and wellness. Um, certainly some advice on fitness and weight loss, which was like being driven pretty hard by our parents who, when they hear me talk about this stuff on podcasts, I think they, they feel bad that I seem to be talking about it in a negative way. But I mean, I'm not really. I just think there was a lack of information. I know that they were absolutely super concerned about our health and wanting us to be in the best you know, shape we possibly could be in. But in retrospect, we were eating an entirely reduced fat diet of mostly processed foods, except for like the barbecue chicken and the different actual foods we were eating. I was eating a lot of cereal, a lot of margarine, a lot of egg beaters, a lot of pesto from the tub, just so Franken many foods. Just so many things that like, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't have a concept really for them being whole foods or not at the time. It wasn't even an idea of mine. And so this upbringing led my brother and I both to being pretty overweight. He was, I don't really know what weight he topped out at. I topped out somewhere around 250 or 260, and I'm on a six-foot frame, so it pre- was pretty heavy. Thankfully, I was playing lacrosse my whole life, and if I hadn't been an athlete, I don't know what would have happened to me um, between the recreational sort of drugs and alcohol that we enjoyed in college and the fast food and the lifestyle. I was like, Thankfully, I was playing lacrosse every single day. Otherwise, I probably would have been 350 pounds. But when my brother lost about 50 pounds, I sort of noticed that. And uh, it was kind of like, I could probably lose a few LBs myself. Um, And so I started working out with a Czech practitioner who I would have called a personal trainer at the time. I had no concept of what a holistic life coach was, what a Czech practitioner was. I don't even think this guy talked about Paul or Czech and his work very much that I recall. It was just sort of, we were there I was in the gym doing his thing. And this is, this is life-changing for me, this, in, meeting this person. His name was Chaba Lucas. I mean, it's still his name. <laughs> um, and Chaba introduced me to Paul's teachings, primarily the four doctors, um, and that was all new information to me entirely. Um, And it was the first time in my life that the information actually had feedback that worked for me. Like I I could see my body and my condition and my general sense of well-being and how I felt improving based on the information. It was a positive feedback loop. And so I've never really looked back from that moment. But the major introductions was, like I mentioned a, a moment ago, the difference between working out and working in. Which you probably defined on this show in the past. Drop it,
0: brother. It doesn't. This shit. That, you know, I used to have a fear of being too repetitive or bringing up an old story more than once. You know, which I've done several times. And and one of my listeners mentioned to me that it, it doesn't always land on the first go. Sure. So it's that second or third that actually hits home. Or sometimes yeah. it's just the that gentle reminder of like, oh shit, yeah, uh, yeah. I you. haven't done that in a while. Exactly. You know? Like I yeah. know it but I don't practice it. Right. So bring
1: it, bring it in for us. Well, I mean, like I like to define it to my friends and family because most people don't have this information and most people are working out. Um, So working out is activities where you expend more energy than you generate working in activities where you generate more energy than you expend. And the result is obvious. You know, I heard you talking to Paul the other day, you leave the gym, you feel energized. You were probably working out a lot of those times, but you also have a great reserve of energy and you're in excellent condition. So if you're in terrible condition like my brother and I were when we began this journey, there's a real argument to be made to not work out at all, just to work in. And I'm, you know, this last year has been extremely stressful for us. I've gone through periods of 3 to or 6 months of just working in once or twice in the last year. I mean, Barely teetering into working out, but overall keeping my my health condition improving and really just honoring the fact that that's where I was. If I'm super stressed out, um, I'm not going to go really stress myself out in the gym. I'm going to support myself, and sometimes that's lying down in the grass. Sometimes it's tai chi, qigong, you know, restorative yoga, slow walks, or you know, I don't know, even just standing there and letting gentle movements kind of pass through my body and seeing where, where it takes me. Um, so working out, working in was a tremendous learning for me my whole life up until that point, I was working out to lose weight and that was the exclusive sort of mathematical equation of health. Um, Dr. Quiet was probably the other life changing thing that happened. Um, just the idea of a mindfulness practice in general, I had no introduction to prior to that. Um, and my first guided meditation, basically I've, I like the lady sort of broke it down to me in a way that stuck with me. And I think is probably worth sharing because if you, especially if you don't have a mindfulness practice, but she kind of let me understand that there's two, let's say silos of the mindfulness game. One is your mindfulness practice, which is I'm going to sit down and do a meditation. And she akin that to like taking a bath. You're going to sit down for 30 or 45 minutes. You're going to soak in the mindfulness and you're going to build your quote-unquote mindfulness muscle. And just like the yogis take their practice off the mat, like you're going to then have a deeper mindfulness practice if you do that every day and kind of hit the mindfulness gym in that way. The second entirely different silo, which really is only strengthened by the first silo is the thread of mindfulness that goes throughout your entire day and has nothing to do with the fact that you're sitting down for a mindfulness practice, but that you're just being mindful in whatever you're doing. And there's this hilariously titled book like um, super, uh, what is it? It's um, mindfulness uh, meditation in a New York minute, super calm for the super busy. Or something like that, and <laughs> it's, it's like eight minute abs. For your mindfulness, <laughs> exactly, and that 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 stupid little book changed my life as well because it was like thirty seven or some on random number of exercises, mindfulness on the subway, mindfulness like while you're eating, mindfulness in the shower, and it just explained this concept of a, being mindful while you're doing your regular activities, and so mindfulness working out working in these are the four doctor you know teachings and and then the one that kind of probably took a hold of my life the most was was dr diet um the idea that organic food was a thing i mean this was 2007 or 8 and i was not aware of that i did not have any concept of organic food being somehow different than non-organic food or what that even meant and so as soon as I started trying to source organic food basically taking this guy's word for it that it was important for my health and not really understanding it much deeper than that I realized it was a little bit difficult to find organic food there were some restaurants in New York um, that like celebrated organic at least in their marketing and they' were kind of expensive especially if you're talking about three meals a day for your entire life so I immediately developed the ability to cook. And that was another life-changing thing. Started preparing my own food at home, um, which made it easier to find organic ingredients and then know that I was eating organic ingredients because otherwise it's a little bit difficult to, to tell. Uh, now, like 15 years later or whatever it is, I there's very few restaurants that I would be comfortable eating at. Um, and I make a phone call ahead to ask a three or four simple questions before I would consider going to a restaurant for sure. What kind of cooking oil do you use? Yeah, I I try to start like, the person on the phone often doesn't know the answer to my question. And so just for everybody's time, I try to keep it as simple as possible. I'll say like, hi, uh, does the the kitchen celebrate and focus on organic ingredients primarily? They don't know the answer to that. It's like, you're in murky waters. The next question would be, is your beef 100% grass-fed, grass-finished? Because if you're thinking about sourcing at all, you probably got some grass-fed beef on your hands. And if the answer to that is no, then I don't normally get to the third or fourth question, which would be like, whoa, what do you fry your, what do you put to your oil? You know, stuff like that. Um, So I start a blog at this time called I'm High on Cooking. And this uh, basically like, The need to write something every day or multiple times a week, this draws my attention completely. It was sort of like journaling um, without having a journaling practice. Through the process of blogging, and maybe you've learned this through the process of podcasting, like discovering entirely new passions, but through the process of writing about the food, I went on this journey of trying to find cleaner and better sources of food and get more in touch with the sources of my food, which led me to taking trips to lots of different farms. So this blogging starts introducing me to food production and to farming and that's really kind of where the light turns on. Um, we, ne- like flash forward to today, my wife and I own a biodynamic farm. Um, biodynamic is a pretty uh, far beyond method of you know what some people might say beyond organic farming. Um, I know you've talked about it quite a bit. Um, I do want to
0: dive into that. You know, we've, we've been chatting on the phone. Um, Obviously uh, Paul has introduced me into Rudolf Steiner's work and, He's one of the few people where it's like, where the fuck do I start? There Steiner? Yeah, Steiner has so, so, so much.
1: That's such a good question.
0: Um, and most of his <laughs> books, thankfully, are, are pretty small. You know, Philosophy of Freedom, I think, is one of two books available on Audible. That's a good one to listen to. I like the narrator there. I just got his uh, biodynamic farming or biodynamic agriculture book. And that's, that's actually thick. That's a fucking meaty book.
1: The agriculture course. The agriculture one yeah. is,
0: is meaty, and there was another one that Paul had mentioned as his favorite book on agriculture, and then you mentioned uh, that person to listen to an audio, which I want to dive into.
1: But, but really, no, that's I'm, probably the same person, actually. Okay, I wonder if it is Dennis Klosek. Oh, it's got to be. I, I I'll see. I have the books at yeah. home. I've, I've got a whole little stack actually going right now of
0: books that I need to read in preparation for caring for the land and, and really bringing that resonance there. You know, biggest little farm style. It's um, so beautiful, but d- but really unpack that because you know the the only person who I've really had a deep dive on this with was Todd White, the CEO of Dry Farm Wines, and they source biodynamic, and he really wanted to make a point on that. But that was I
1: think a year or two ago. Well, you, I mean, like Chervin dropped some nuggets. That's right. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah, he he's he's um he's gone through Steiner's education. As well, well, what's interesting, and my daughter is a, a Waldorf child. Um, So yeah, I mean. You asked such an interesting question, where do you start? Because Chervene and I started in completely opposite ends and that leads me to believe that you can start anywhere. I I think it's a real ball of yarn and like all the threads sort of lead inwards to you. Um, So Chervene's background, from what I could tell from listening to him, I barely spoke to him at Paul's party for but a few minutes, but just from listening to him on on your your show... um, he seems like he really has a deep understanding of the anthroposophical worldview, um, which for those entirely unfamiliar, anthroposophy is the body of wisdom that Rudolf Steiner spoke about, taught, and developed, which ultimately results in like a worldwide community, but also this actual sort of university and community in Switzerland called the Gürteneum, where this stuff has been studied ever since the, you know, early 1920s, if not a few years before, um, the actual facility burnt down and was rebuilt. And I don't remember the years on that, but sometime in the early to mid, late teens, early 20s of the 1900s, this community comes to be. And it's based off of mostly his lectures. He gives thousands and thousands of lectures over a 10 to 15 year period prior to his death. Um, Prior to that, he was speaking mostly on like uh, world religions, um, and started having like personal sort of conflicts with the other. I don't even know like the, the what this organization that he was involved in. I forget, the theos- some some international theosophical, society. theosophical yeah. society, and he sort of breaks away from that and starts the anthroposophical society, and it uh, he things he speaks on become practical solutions in these people's real time. You know what I mean? So he speaks on education at the Waldorf Astoria factory and starts the first Waldorf school. And an entire system of education, not to mention a very thoughtful one, um, comes out from this guy's lecture. It's just mind-blowing. And a style of medicine, you know, anthroposophical medicine, a, a particular style of homeopathy, comes out of this guy's musings. And um, basically, the farmers of the time were uh, so. Just like to timestamp this moment in time, so we're the the agriculture course that you're talking about is a series of lectures given in 1924, and 19, you know, 12 to 1920 is is really kind of the introduction of chemical nitrogen fertilizers. Um, it, it all sort of happens right then around World War One. And um, it, it always blows my mind that the sort of the the, the ammunition and dynamite and gunpowder, the combustion that's required to blow things up, is the exact same thing we need to grow baby plants in the soil. That's how like fucking large of a leap we're trying to take by, by you know, stepping in as humans and using our intellect to try and replace that process. It's like, we need to use dynamite in order <laughs> to, to replace that the magical sort of synthesis of whatever is going on in the soil when plants grow um, on their own. And so Steiner's community of people, I mean, back at this time in the early 1900s was sort of the largest population of people um, non enslaved people farming uh, in the world and certainly in this country um, and so in the that 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 was the peak you know what I mean so we really are this is a moment in time it's the beginning of the decline of agriculture as industrial agriculture thanks to like you know the mechanization uh, that kind of came about in the 1800s and the cotton industry and the fiber industry all these things are far more profitable to grow and store and sell the cotton whenever you can than to like grow tender little vegetables for you and your family. And now there's railroads invented, they're shipping food across the country. So all of a sudden you're not growing food for you and your loved ones, but you're growing food and shipping it across the country to some middleman who's selling it to some city somewhere. So uh, there's a real divergence in like what, you know, biodynamic people would certainly consider like our spiritual relationship with the land and with the food and and then the food that we were eating as as end users um so steiner's community of people are saying like they're not exactly saying like hey these chemicals are are messing up our land but they're saying look we have hoof and mouth disease all across europe all of our farm animals are sick and dying like you know i'm just trying to remember stuff from the ag course like our alfalfa used to grow for seven or 10 years, now it barely grows for one. You know? So they go on and on about all the sort of issues they're having and they, they, they basically beg this guy to speak on it. And um, he's asked multiple times and doesn't speak on it and maybe presumably he's just get, thinking about it. But a year or two goes by he, and he finally gives these series of lectures. And that series of lectures was shocking. I mean, it was talking about crazy shit if you're a farmer. you're a farmer, you're a very practical person. You're working with you know manure, soil, plants, crops, maybe some machines and some livestock. This guy starts talking about like, you know, fermenting flowers under the ground, stuffing things into cow horns, utilizing crystals, and also just like uh, an entire anthroposophical interpretation of what it means to be a living being and like how life develops and evolves and what our relationship is to the earth. And I mean, it's really hard to explain. You could read that ag course 15 or 20 times and, and still feel like you only have three or 5% of it. And it's because it's sort of like going into the, the last day of grad school and like hearing the final lecture and trying to make sense of it at, when you're really 12 years old and you haven't even been through high school yet, it's mm-hmm. like you missed this entire. He's given thousands of lectures, so the like biodynamics is the anthroposophical approach to farming, and so if you really truly want to understand it, well, you got to first say like, "Whoa, well, what is anthroposophy?" And what and like you said, there's thousands of lectures and hundreds of books on many topics and so i didn't have that education at all i didn't even know what the word anthroposophy meant when i was a biodynamic farm owner i I maybe had heard about it but i came about it from a completely different place and i'll i'll try to circle back to the steiner lectures and kind of what comes out of that but um i came about it as a consumer like i wanted i learned about organic food like i was saying i wanted to eventually i actually wanted to learn how to farm that's where that journey went is we kind of kickstarted this journey knowing that we wanted to develop a farm based enterprise that would be some sort of entrepreneurial business stacked on top of a farm and in doing that i sort of luckily landed on a farm that was an organic and biodynamic farm in retro so that was my first introduction was the place i went to apprentice actually was Calling themselves a biodynamic farm. In any of these farming systems, like what you have to be careful of is that what does that really mean to each person? And there's even if there is a certification for something like certified organic, certified biodynamic, there's always the bare minimum. And then it's like you could do whatever you want after that. So in retrospect, this place was not really understanding or diving deeply into biodynamics either. Um, so I came to it just learning as a consumer that biodynamics was supposed to be like the best, quote unquote, the tastiest, the best, or even beyond organic. So I just was a consumer looking for the best food, the best products, and I sort of heard about biodynamics. When we developed the idea for this entrepreneurial farm-based business, it really turned into the idea of a hotel. So we were developing a hotel on our property um, for the last nine or ten years. That was the plan leading up to the wildfires last September and where are you guys located we're in sonoma county northern california um i'm from the
0: bay originally and have family up there so yeah i I know that one there uh my dad's in the santa cruz
1: mountains and it just missed his house barely it literally just missed our house like because it burned over our entire property but let's say the property is a square which it's not and the farm is right in the center of it the fire burned from all four sides Right up to the farm, which is also where our home is. is just this like four-acre clearing in a heavily forested mountain. Otherwise, it's several hundred acres of forest and then just a couple acres of open space where the farm and the house is. And the fire put itself out in the ground about a foot outside our house and the farm on all four sides. So the forest in every single direction for miles and every winery and house surrounding us with the exception of one or two Uh, burnt to the ground all of our barns vehicles power line well biodynamic preps products glassware labels everything also burned the house and the farm like you'd be forgiven if you looked at it and kind of said like nothing even happened here it's sort of just this halo of protection around the space and um as a person who um has sort of you know worked on my imaginatory capabilities of relating with the living beings uh who we sh- you know share home with uh i i don't know it's it's just this is where our culture sort of loses me because i start you know maybe less so on this podcast but it's like it's hard for me not to think about how insane the majority of people will think I, I sound when I say things like this, but I really, you know, feel that we had sort of a relationship with the forest and the fire and the earth and just all of the sort of life that it, process that is around us in that area. And it somehow um, like bended space and time to have the fire just go right around us. I mean, had the fire burned down the house, there's almost, I can't even imagine in my mind how we would have not said, like, we're moving to Texas, you know, or just, like, <laughs> changed our life completely. Um, but the fact that the house was there and that the farm was substantially there was, like, a real anchor to thinking, like, okay, we're, we're really supposed to be there. Um, and um, we're really excited to go home. We're going home in like 25 days for the first time in over a year. Uh, We've been home once or twice, but I mean, we're going home to live there. Mm. And um, the having the fire do all (laughs) that it did um, obviously involved like a tremendous round of surrendering. Um, There's nothing you could do about it. And we're very underinsured and just tremendously, uh, you know, Overwhelmed with the recovery process, which has been what this last year has been about. But at the end of the day, um, we're gonna one example is we're gonna be 100 off grid. You know, starting in January, and being on grid in the mountains that we live on is like not fun. It's it's scary. Your power line could have trees fall on it all the time, and the power goes out all the time. PG and E turns it off all the time, so. We're about to be like better off than we've ever been in that one specific way. It's obviously very cool to be harvesting all of our own energy from the sun and not even having a power line or any connection to the grid at all. Um, there's just been a lot of silver linings that have come about in real time with this disaster, and it's just sort of changed my outlook on things in in a in a positive way. Like um, there have been terrible things or deaths or you know horrible life events in the past, which in retrospect, I could look back on and and think like, you know, there's a lot of beauty that came out of that. I wouldn't be the same person without it. But this one was in real time. Like in real time, I was sometimes only, with the exception of the major like financial stress and the actual bullshit of dealing with insurance companies and rebuilding things and all that kind of stuff, it was mostly an experience of silver linings, which is weird to say because the fire completely changed our entire life course. We're no longer at this moment developing the hotel. Mm. Not that we might not one day, but we we no longer are at this moment. And so we had been for nine years, tens of thousands of hours, day and night, exclusively focused on a single goal, which four days before the fire, our final like construction budget was greenlit to sort of move on to the final phase of design and finally build this thing after a lot of effort. We greenlit the budget Four days later, we had the fire, and five days later, we had to let go of that dream entirely. Um, and it's weird; it sort of feels like more like a success than a failure um, because there's no real linear way to have gotten to where we are right now. Which is that we have this home that we love. We have developed this biodynamic farm, which is extremely unique in creating, you know, uh, products of uh, very high you know, if not unparalleled sort of quality. And it is in a location that if you told me today, like, Hey, let's go start a skincare company or let's go make some self care products. Uh, We want it to be like the best, you know, the best of the best, whatever. There's just no way that you would go buy this 300 acre, very difficult to grow on property and develop a biodynamic farm and live there. You wouldn't, you would just buy ingredients and have a little kitchen and make these products. So, what makes our products and brand special at this point is the fact that we are this biodynamic farm in this very unique location with this very sort of intimate, uh, relationship with the land. And and then the products are sort of a way of sharing that and letting people in on that experience. So we couldn't have done what we're doing now, if not having tried to develop that hotel and then having it burned down and change our minds entirely. So it's just sort of weird. Um, I, we, we were happy where we are. We wouldn't have been able to get here if not for these disasters. And yet they were disasters and they were terrible, but they were also somehow exactly what we needed.
0: And you guys were growing the ho- what was the purpose between, behind the hotel? Was it to bring people out on the land and, and have them experience biodynamic farming together in community or yeah, explain well, like, the why
1: behind that? The, the life-changing, like the, the, the epicenter of that is sort of nature connection like if you have if you if you immerse somebody into nature and you give them time to relax and you feed them quality water and food absent of all you know like in in this case it would have been in a house absent of carcinogenic chemicals built out of earthen materials and organic fibers and you know things that the the get a hotel guest may not even have cared about they may have they some people certainly would have come specifically for that but it would have been a generally luxurious hotel environment that anyone could have enjoyed on vacation and yet if you place them in that environment they they start to sort of become open to to new ideas some of these new ideas might stick with them they might take them home and they might start thinking about their food or how they develop their next house, and basically, it's like all of the, all of the, like it, it's just unbelievable how, ant, how pro-inflammatory and like anti-health the, the, the real world is. Let's say, you know what I mean. Yeah. The, the world out there is tough. So these people are generally would have been coming from cities because most people live in cities, and so there's traffic, there's noise pollution, there's every kind of pollution, right? So all of a sudden, they're out in a pristine environment. Just that alone, it's basically like a detox and an opportunity for transformation. So we weren't looking to create some sort of like regimented healing center or even a learning center like Esalen or something, like even though components of all of those types of places like yoga Retreat and the center, they, they they could have been here at, at this at our property. The idea was really just to put you there. And if you're there, I mean the world is your oyster at that point, but once somebody makes the relationship or the connection that they are nature, like, I mean, that was the lock and key for me. So once I connected to nature and saw myself in nature and, and nature in myself, and just once I understood sort of the unity consciousness aspect of life, I was a completely different person. I mean, instantaneously. And I don't think that's something you can just hear on a podcast or, maybe even appreciate it intellectually, but if you're just like, you know, people have probably had peak experiences out in nature. Um, those are sustainable in my experience. So like I, my life is a, a peak experience of nature connection. And I would like to share that with people um, if, if, if they're interested and if it benefits them, like it does me. I mean, that would be a beautiful thing. It's what our family wants for ourselves. And so the idea of the hotel was basically like, if we create it, we'll have it. So yes, we're we created it to share it with other people, but that's also because that's really what we wanted in the world and what we wanted to have access to. And
0: I love that. Yeah, we've been thinking about different ways to how, how do you let that ripple effect actually become more tangible? You know, there's there we had Charles Eisenstein out at the last Fit for Service Summit and he was speaking about how it's it's just a different thing to be face to face with somebody interacting with each other's energy fields hugging one another communicating with the full facial expression as opposed to a Zoom meeting out of the office or even yeah. a podcast that you're listening to right now it's a different experience than the experience you and I are having and <clears throat> that really can't be overstated you know but that 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 definitely paints a picture on the why behind you know, having people there to experience that. Thankfully at the, the ranch that Aubrey is putting together, we will have fit for service events there. It's something I, I got in his ear early during lockdowns last year. And I was like, we need our own space. And we already had that in Sedona, but I was like, we need one here in Texas, you know? And so uh, the stars have lined up and that's that's going through November 1st. So super thrilled to have the folks in fit for service out to that space and, yeah. and to be a caretaker. There's so much I want to dive in on here, and obviously I want to get into your products and what you guys are creating now um, on your farm. But
1: really quick, break down anthroposophy. Posophy? Yeah, I mean, like Posophy? the 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 word yeah anthroposophy. Posophy, I mean, you go. know, I is Dr. Thomas
0: Cowan is also really into this. He was just on
1: yeah, and it's something he's I've an heard anthroposophical heard doctor. Yes, yeah. So um, I mean, to break it down is is not probably, um, I would say, my expertise, but I'm going to share what I can. Because like I was saying, I came about it from a biodynamic perspective, meaning I learned about biodynamic food and farming. All of a sudden, I mean, that's not really how it happened, but all of a sudden, we're a biodynamic farm owner. And I'm walking around my biodynamic farm, eating my biodynamic food and just loving life. And everybody who comes into the farm Their eyes roll back in their head and they can't believe what they're seeing the quality and the vibrant colors and the taste and the shapes and just the integrity of everything. Like, you look at it and you're just like, what is up? Like, why is there 17 times more spinach on that piece of spinach? Like, it's just got so much texture and character. And you're just, you know, everyone's blown away when they walk around the farm. And then the next thing is, people will taste things that they'll tell you they hate. I hate tomatoes. I don't eat cherries. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And they're like, come on, just taste one. They taste it, and nine times out of ten, it's the first time in their life they've ever liked that thing. And I was similar before I started growing food. I didn't like tomatoes. I didn't like mushrooms. I didn't like all sorts of things because the watery kind of sad versions of them that I was presented with my whole life um, aren't, aren't that. So when you finally taste this stuff... So I was in that place, and I was thinking, why? Like... Like, because people will a lot of people who are even into regenerative farming and organic farming think that biodynamics is sort of I don't know if woo-woo is the right word, but even just sort of um like uh, not necessary, almost like religious mm. sort of aspect on top of good farming. like people great organic farmers will tell you like, yeah, like 90% of that is great, but all the other BS you guys do is like, if you like it, great, but it, you know, not needed. Um, so the thing is, is that, well, why don't people walk around their farms and say the, the things that they're saying when they walk around our garden? So I'm sitting there thinking, well, when those people who are saying that come visit our farm, they're very impressed with what they see. So I'm like, there does seem to be a difference between the two methods. And so I sort of wanted to go down that rabbit hole of being like, why is biodynamic working? Because if you don't think biodynamic works, then basically what we're doing is nothing. Because we're putting homeopathic amounts of fermented flowers, basically, into a compost pile the size of like a house. So a couple tablespoons of material into the si- a huge compost pile. That's one of the main things that we're doing. Um, we spray some manure and rainwater concoctions on the field, and we spray a what's called the silica preparation, which is made out of quartz crystals crushed up and mixed with rainwater, on the, on the crops. Um, there, there might be one or two other things that we do throughout the year, but that means we don't use any fertilizers. We don't use pesticides, insecticides, fungicides, rodenticides. Or any side that they're about to invent next, or any of the dozens or hundreds of other, you know, interesting soil amendments that people can can sell and come up with, um, including certified organic ones.
0: Yeah, and there's quite a bit. That was one thing that really got me scratching my head, and I think uh, you know Paul dove into that and in how to eat, move, and be healthy. But even since then, I mean, it, it's, it seems like every few months they're like. <clears throat> Look at this new organic spray that uh, grocers are allowed to use to keep avocados fresh or to keep your fucking banana from turning brown. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, ah, that's kind of not. We're we're missing the point here. Like we're supposed to have this thing ripen on the tree or the vine, and then take it without anything but the microbiome it's accumulated on its skin before we ingest that.
1: Yeah, we're solving all the wrong, you know, problems. Basically, the the industry is not incentivized to solve the kind of things that we care about, which would just be like super nutrient dense, clean food, and that's really, you know, what I was after as a consumer and how I ended up finding biodynamics. But where we are now is like, okay, so why does it work? That's what I wanted to know. Because if you're just if you're saying that this little spoonful of flour can't possibly do it, and if you're saying the fact that we are interested in, you know, moon phases can't possibly do it, which is probably a bad example because farmers have been working with the moon across all cultures for all time. But there's just plenty of things people point at when they hear about biodynamic practices that sound a little bit odd. And yet, that's the only thing we were doing on our farm. So we took a pretty um, dedicated approach to that. It wasn't like we did it when we could or we did it, but we also have this fertilizer. And sometimes we spray Roundup in the areas that really get out of control. I mean, you're laughing. It's a little, little glyphosate. You all. don't even know how <laughs> extremely common that is. Mm-hmm. On organic farms, you know, you have like some like, terrible patch of weeds on the edge of something and you, you just spray something on it and you, you consider it an emergency, let's say. And I'm not saying like the best organic farms, but you have to imagine on the industrial organic farms because even on some of the best organic farms, I've seen it personally as a, an intern or an apprentice or, you know, a visiting person. And when the inspector from the county came to our farm um, or the ag department, I don't know who, it was, somebody came to inspect our farm at one point. Uh, He said, "Where's your storage, you know, closet for like uh, toxic chemicals, kind of thing?" And we're like, "Oh, we don't have anything like that." And he's like, "No, you know, you well, we have gasoline." It's like, "Okay, let me see that." We showed him the gasoline. He's like, "All right, but like, what about, you know, even Roundup?" And we're like, "No, this is a we're a biodynamic farm," and he's like, "Yeah, but." For emergencies, stuff like that, and we said, "Sir, like we're not trying to mess around with you. Like not only do we not have it, but I can't believe this is like." I was like, "Is this not the answer you're finding on the other organic farms?" And he said that pretty much everybody has products like that um, for emergencies in certain circumstances, and that was like four or five years ago. And I still, to this day, I'm just trying to wrap my head around what kind of emergency this guy's talking about that would call for that solution. When, I mean. On our farm, we've just never had such an emergency. I don't know what else to say about that. Um, so making growing your food with entirely absent of any chemical or purchased product, even certified organic ones, is very rare. Um, Ryan, who's sitting in, in the room, uh, is a fan of another farming practice called Korean Natural Farming. And what's pretty cool about that is, um, my understanding anyways, I'm just getting into it, is that they also make their things generally from scratch and from found materials and from locally sourced things. So uh, making your things from scratch is, I mean, you can't get better than that. Like if you want to break down the difference between biodynamic and organic, that would probably be maybe an even easier conversation than trying to just understand <laughs> what is biodynamic because it's it's a real can of worms. But the organic industry started as well frankly biodynamic biodynamic was the first like in 1924 1928 this time period when the first biodynamic farmers are putting Rudolf steiner's lectures into play um, into practice on their farms this was in response to industrial agriculture so at this point there was no organic farming this was quote unquote the first organic farming over time like let's say the 70s post-world war ii not only is there now chemical fertilizers, but there's now chemical insecticides that were invented for the gas chambers and then get turned onto the food system shortly after World War II and DDT shortly after Vietnam. And so these things are now how we grow food. And basically the hippie culture in the 70s kind of takes the organic torch and, and it becomes sort of a grassroots thing. And what they're after is more ecological, better ecological alternatives to industrial agriculture, which they've become convinced is not working at this point. And so that was in the 70s. Now where we are now is that it's a multi-billion dollar industry and probably 90 or 95% of the organic industry is like what you would call industrial monocultures. So organics no longer has any ethos around biodiversity, soil health, farm worker safety, health, watershed, wildlife, community, ecosystem. It's really just a list of which chemicals to use or not use. And of course, the lobbyists that sort of, you know, are impacting that list are probably pretty influential. So the things that you're talking about, like new sprays for this or that, I mean, I have no idea about any of those things. I would never consider using them ever. Um, There's just no need for it. Our, Our farm, growing it in this way, is really self-balancing, you know, system. They're like, just like, you know, sometimes I have dry scalp or like I'll have a hive or I'll have a little, you know, indigestion or something like that. That's pretty much the extent of the farm's issues. Like there might be a little issue here or there It usually resolves itself. If not some tea of some kind sprayed on it, usually resolves it.
0: How did you guys, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen the biggest little farm It's one of my favorite documentaries. I've watched it a few times with, with uh, a Baron Tosh and I cry every fucking time. (laughs) And, and it's one of the things that I've, I've really tried to prepare us for is the amount of work that it's going to take to get things into a harmonious, you know, garden of Eden, which they accomplished, you know, that, that seven years that it took them to go from where it was at to actually, to bring balance to the ecosystem. And, you know, by the end of this, they've got 89 barn owls and, you know, the snakes eat the gophers and keep, you know, the, the, the ducks and the uh, chickens come in to eat the snails. And it kind of all is self-balancing and auto-regulating. Yeah. Um, how long did it take you guys to really bring that balance? Because what you're talking about here, like you might have to, you know, spray some tea and things like that. It seems like you've done quite a bit of the work to get it there. Sure. Or starting biodynamically really remedy all of that stuff in advance?
1: I mean, right out the gate, these practices were very impressive. We, our first year growing, we were super, super blown away. And we were sort of thinking, you know, it was going to take a couple of years kind of thing to really get the, the quality in. But I would say that the, the, the quality has definitely improved, but not like the leap from where we were in year one to where we are now is much smaller than the leap from growing this way versus other styles of farming that I've been involved with. Like, the organic farming system generally relies on organic fertilizer. Organic fertilizer is generally made out of blood meal, bone meal, and feather meal. These things are generally not well-sourced. They're generally factory-farmed non-organic animals that, through the magic of industry, become powdered bags of organic farm amendments. Mm. That is the backbone of the organic farming system. Um, And so... I've really only ever been a part of that because it's really about 99.9% of all farms use it. Um, There's 0.002% of U.S. farmland is certified biodynamic. So it's like, it's hard to find, hard to get around and learn from these people. Um, Of the 0.002%, I don't know what percent, but somewhere north of 80, it might even be 99% of it, is dedicated to wine grapes. Because in wine, biodynamics has... Just been more popular for a long time, which is interesting because that's a hard, you know, it's not that's a labor of love unless you have a cult wine and you're making millions of dollars. Like, there's not easy to make money in wine, and if there's one thing they certainly care about, it's it's um, like quality and taste and longevity and the fact that it's alive. And so, I think it's pretty interesting that biodynamics is really. Popular in the wine industry, where those people care about those things so much, so they and and they do it, and they don't often even talk about it. Like we live up in Napa, Sonoma area, where some of you know America's greatest wines are made, and the most—I mean, I could name probably three or four of very famous cult wines that you would never know, but in the field, they definitely practice biodynamics. Um, So. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> anthroposophy. So anthroposophy, as it relates to, I mean, what what would I say about it? I mean, well, because what i what I'm gathering, I guess, is just, um,
0: you know, it, se- it seems in the conversation of Steiner and everything that you have to dive into, that with the timeline you've put out, you know, he finishes in large part with. How to, how to school children and how to grow food, right? And that's the finishing lectures. But yeah. it's all this and then that then leads up to away. that to where you really yeah. get to understand what he was about and what he was driving home. And to me, I think if I was to, without having really taken a deep dive into it, if I'm to guess, it sounds a lot like um, a return to within the sacred hoop, where we understand that we are, we're not separate from the same revelations you had around yourself as nature, or you know, to quote Alan Watts, ourselves as God, and with that understanding, a deeper understanding of the inner workings and interrelation between all things.
1: It's, it, I mean, like yes, but also like and a thousand other things. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like the some of the stuff you and Trevin were talking about. It's like um, Biodynamics pulls in, you know, some of the greatest teachings from like ancient religions and and cultures and. It can be a sentence in one of those lectures is, is you know, send you down months worth of of thinking about something. And so to me, uh, it, I don't know if I'll ever have a, a, what I would consider a deep understanding of anthroposophy. It's like what it actually is to me is a questioning. It's just it, it, it's really how to observe and question things I think is the common thread amongst people who who study the work uh, or practice the work in the field or teachers? Like, because like, now, because if you're asking me to to try to speak on anthroposophy, I have to think about well, what are the common threads between like an anthroposophical doctor, a biodynamic farmer, and a Waldorf teacher? Because they're all anthroposophical. Um, so I think it's about observation um, and questioning and. Um, and also certainly the veil of what we see is not is not where it ends you know and certainly where scientific measurements end is not where the life experience ends and so part of anthroposophy is how to how to put how to make inquiry and even be scientific with the realms that science doesn't even acknowledge exists um like dr callan you know talks about like you can't weigh and measure love or these other joys that you have in life that that are the common thread from you at three to thirty to ninety or whatever and so anthroposophy gives you a way to make those inquiries and to have that discussion Um, and I don't know. It, it also is very much about developing your imagination. Um, certainly in the Waldorf school system, that's yeah. almost exclusively what it's about. But as a biodynamic... It was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and No knock,
0: but... Uh, no, we're no yeah. longer enrolled in our Waldorf school. Yeah. Same with Paul, same with us, just for yeah. the fact that they, you know, to, the, the why, and I've spoken about, about this before, I don't want to derail, but, you know, we signed, we all had to sign a piece of paper that said, you're going gonna to limit screen time right because at this age it's super important they don't have that so they develop imagination yeah so they get creative play and a lot of that happens in boredom it happens with closing your eyes and thinking of something it happens with like there's three of us that don't know how the what we're going to do today but we're going to use our imagination and this stick and a rock to figure out a game you know but the second you engage with a screen you're hyper engaged you have you know the, 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 all the right science that goes into our frankenfoods goes into TV,
1: so they know how to keep you hooked. And then that just takes all the bandwidth of what you would use to create. Also, are you familiar with Open Focus Brain, Les Femi's work? Mm-mm. Open Focus Brain is the name of his book, and Open Focus Meditation is the style of meditation. It's all about uh, open focus, like the lion is resting and looking at the entire herd and looking at the entire landscape. Narrow focus, the lion sees the limping one in the back and his eyebrows furrow and his nose, you know they points at the thing and he's a, his adrenaline starts pumping. he's about to go attack the thing. Um, so our whole life nowadays is pulling us in into narrow focus, on mm. these screens, on these books, on, on, on you know the phones, etc. And so open focus is something that you could take into your daily life. Once you start practicing, you do it with your eyes open. It's just about taking in the whole room. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it, just the idea that you would be spending your whole day in narrow focus on a screen is pretty, you know, and for kids, I mean, yeah.
0: for adults, like, yeah, I mean, if that's the only way you got to pay the bills, that's one way, hopefully utilize the prostitute archetype correctly and navigate that to better spaces. But yeah, that, that's why we, we ended up leaving that behind. You could check um, out
1: open focus brain though. If you do have to do that for your okay. work, you know, cause you could be taking in the background. It's sort of like when you look at the page and everyone focuses on the letters, Alan Watts talks about this, but like you need the space around it too, otherwise the letters are meaningless. So it's just about taking in the background and the periphery without letting yourself sort of be so narrow in your focus. And it has a lot of physiological benefits. Actually, we offer a open focus inspired facial relaxation to anyone who buys one of our products. Um, we'll, we offer a FaceTime where you can talk to us about the products, talk to us about the farm and, and have a, a little open focus type. Uh, I'm not trained in it or anything, but it's something we do in our regular life and we just share with people who are interested. Very so. cool. Well,
0: yeah. let's, dive, let's dive into that. Let's dive into, you know, what
1: you guys started creating. I know? was going to give you one specific example okay. of like how a biodynamic farmer would use his imagination to farm. Which, do you want to hear that? Yeah, please. Because I'm just trying to see if I can answer your question better. But um, basically like one exercise that has come out of biodynamics is um, I don't know if there's a specific name for this, but Paul has taught me a type of imagining called vantage point meditation, um, which is very similar. And that involves one of the sort of stabilizing exercises to get into that was to like people have probably imagined themselves walking into a cave and sort of picturing that and eventually you get into the cave and there's a well with water in it. And the first step is imagining the water on the surface of the well, going from turbulent to calm, clear water that you can see into. Once you've stabilized the image in your head of it being clear, like lucid water, you let something rise up in the water, whatever the image or the symbol is, and then you take that into your journaling. Um, So in biodynamics, you can imagine the life process. Like, let's say you want to work on something, What's something you want to work on in your garden? if you had one active and now, you're like, my carrots aren't growing. My carrots never grow well, okay. Uh,
0: yeah, well, I was gonna say, I got apple trees that aren't doing well.
1: all right. so if you're if you're thinking about the apple, you kind of go through the imagination of the entire process of the apple from seed to little tree to leafing to how its fruit starts to form till it's finished fruit to maybe even it you know, rotting to the ground and that process starting over, you go through this process in your mind with as much detail as possible and then you reverse that process in your mind backwards in as much detail as possible to silence. You take it back into silence. You go to bed. That's the entire exercise. You do that a couple days in a row. Basically what's happening as you sort of take this process forwards and backwards into silence and then go to sleep where you enter the astral realm, where these living beings exist, the sort of godfathers and devas of the apple, you know. Um, so in, that's where the question goes. It sort of goes to the other side. And you wake up in the morning, you may or may not have a thought about it, and you do this a couple times in a row, and, and essentially it's like asking a question, like, "Hey, I think it's like this." And then the apple tree say back to you, no, actually, it's more like this. Like, you'll think of something. You don't even know where the thought will come from. You'll think of something. You could walk into a branch and it hits you on the head and then you're underneath it and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, that's how it does it. Mm -hmm. And so it's about like the fact that these physical things that we see in front of us, like uh, are not the actual life, process itself it's a it's a physical representation it's one representative of an entire species which exists and evolves over time but the living aspect of it exists in the non-physical you don't see it and so that's sort of maybe if that came through at all with any clarity that's an example of how somebody might have a question they have in the field take it inside themselves into their imagination where they can interact with the aspects of nature that are alive in themselves as well. Um, and it's like a nonverbal communication where uh, it just sort of occurs to you is how it seems to you in real time, but really you've gone through that process of, of having a conversation with, uh, with whatever it is.
0: That's phenomenal. It's making me think of, uh, of Water and Spirit by Maladoma Patrisome when uh, he's a West African uh, shaman, for lack of a better term, but he, he, uh, he talked about his rite of passage. You know, They would sit in front of this very specific tree, naked in the blistering heat of the summertime for as long as it took until they could begin to see the spirit of that tree step forward and communicate. You know, for, If you haven't had ayahuasca or something like that, that might be hard to imagine, but having had those experiences firsthand where I've been in communication with trees in real time, you know an understanding that whatever soul i have whatever's animating me is inherently in all things.
1: It's so funny that you said that because that's the goddamn answer to your question is that biodynamics is a version of that. It's the ayahuasca, it's the ancient mystery schools, it's a ritual and ceremonies and a process to which you can see beyond the veil. Uh, and communicate with the other side, the non-physical, uh, and then how to use your human mind as the lens through which that side can be manifested. You know, in in this side, meaning like if you take into your farming practice the idea that I am working this field or crop or whatever, um, as the moon is descending and as it's a new moon and as the moon is in front of this constellation, which according to the charts has this effect, I've now sort of taken the, um, let's say, consciousness of the entire system into my sort of impulse of shoveling this pile of dirt in the ground. I'm doing it, you know, with the conjunction of these other things happening. And so that's one of the main aspects of Steiner's work is that you're replacing, um, the need for force, like the fucking dynamite that is his conventional fertilizer with the awareness of rhythm. So these rhythms are occurring. um, and, the dynamite guy doesn't need to worry about it because he's going to blow through that rhythm regardless with his force. But in our case, without the dynamite underneath each plant, we can be aware of these rhythms that exist. And then we can do our work in harmony with them to an amplifying effect. Uh, Like, you know, like, like when sound waves kind of line up. So, um, yeah,
0: that's phenomenal, brother. Yeah. You just got, you got so much, so much, uh, pumping through me right now with the excitement of, of what we get to take part of. Talk a bit about the products that you've created. You're out here for the Runga event with Ben Greenfield and Joe DiStefano. Uh, weep, weep. no, or no, no, not?
1: that was, I was celebrating. Okay. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Weep, weep. I was like, wait, <laughs> well, what? I was like, Oh, do we got to edit that out? Oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> top, was- the top secret Runga event. Yeah. Um, break down what you, what you guys are creating, you know, and, and really what you're bringing to the table. I had, uh, I think I, I brought home some of your facial serum and gave it to my wife and never saw it again. And then thankfully you, you mailed me some and I said, this is going upstairs. Bear and I will share it, but I got to have my own here, uh, just to make sure I get, that's a, not a uncommon.
1: It. That's not uncommon. These bottles disappear amongst family members all the time. Moms, daughters, sons, they, they, they covet them from each other. Um, <laughs> so in inner family drama around the serum, uh, is uh not uncommon so basically we were like i said developing a hospitality experience the sort of the gist of that when you came to us is we were going to be trying to do as much of what we could on site as possible so all the meals all the amenities in your room the snacks the drinks the tea you know everything all the spa products different gifts that you could buy stuff like that we're going to try to make a whole bunch of stuff After the fires, we realized we wouldn't be moving forward with the hotel, and yet we had created all those things because we wouldn't be able to just turn on that magic on day one one day. We've been developing the farm for years in anticipation of that project. And so the whole model just reversed on a TED last September when, when the fires came. We now create these products to send them out to people as opposed to people come to us to enjoy these products, which was why they were originally created. Why, at a deeper sense, is because when you're growing these things, they're very ephemeral. You know, it doesn't even matter if it's like a, let's say, a sweet potato, which lasts many months, or a leaf of lettuce, which lasts a few days or whatever. Like, they're still pretty short-lived, and some flowers just last a couple days, they appear, and they're gone. Um, So it's sort of an ancient problem, like, how do we capture the season? How do we capture these things, except for the one day that they're available or whatever? Um, and so they're we're, we're basically engaging in a folk tradition of capturing the season. And this is this being a folk tradition crosses the boundaries between industries and classifications, meaning like, I don't know if some of our products are edible, medicinal, topical, Or food or medicine. Like, I don't really know because that's not how we interrelate with them. And we don't really have the same lens that the FDA has on what is food and medicine. So we're putting out a vinegar drink uh, next week, which, you know, people have been drinking for its health benefits forever and ever and ever, but it's a food. We're selling it as a food. Um, So basically, the products that we create are a reflection of our relationship with the place and the season. So our signature product and part of the reason why it's our signature offering is because the other one's all burned down. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it is possible. This is the one everyone likes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it it was that and the reason why it, it 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 evacuated with us for that reason. You know what I mean? So basically five hours before the fire, there was a fire in, in the, a town over, let's say. So very smoky, obviously, fires on our mind, but there was no danger or reason to believe that we were going to have a fire on our property. It was a, a town or two over. Um, we were about to launch this our serum, the summer solstice serum, for the first time, not on the farm. So right after the fires, basically, we were now uh, mid-October, so a month after the fires, we're going to be launching the serum on SunPotion.com. I don't know if you're familiar with the SunPotion brand, but Scott Lindy is a guy I would I would love to hear you guys talk. I'll, I'll connect you to, but he's the founder of that brand. Um, they sell they like the the they have
0: the dark glass with the gold label exactly. I've right. had their Makuna.
1: yeah yeah the exactly right. bean
0: yeah they're a fucking awesome company. Yeah. Also, I always buy their stuff. There's a few stores in Sedona. And we go every year for Fit for Service and I always get get loaded up on their stuff. They're yeah. phenomenal. He's,
1: he's, he's going to be at Runga as well and he's a good friend of mine. Um, and so he offered, encouraged that we should launch the serum on his website. Um, and so the serum, I knew that was happening and it was the day of the fires. And obviously I didn't know the fire was going to come. But I had five out of the last five years been evacuated in the month of October. And so I thought, uh, it might happen. <laughs> and if it happened, they wouldn't let us back to the farm. The like highway patrol kind of block off the whole mountain. There's one road in on, from both sides. And I was just terrified that we were going to miss the launch. We were, then it was going to be like Black Friday. It was going to be Christmas. We were just never going to be able to launch with these guys. And so by myself on a Sunday with a respirator on because of the smoke, I went outside and I loaded up hundreds of pounds Of our botanical infused oils and glass jars and wooden crates into our family RV because I I needed them to be mobile knowing that in a real evacuation I or certainly my wife never would have let me go load up those oils and I did that for about three hours I came back inside and about 45 minutes later we got a phone call to get the F off the mountain immediately and we went outside, The sky was red, there was fires everywhere and the oils were in the RV already. We hopped in the RV with our daughter and our two dogs, and we left. And so this whole year, we've now been in exile basically from the farm, displaced I should say, maybe not exile. And um, we've been like Johnny Appleseeding the serum all around the country, bringing it everywhere we go, getting into beautiful retail shops, beautiful hotels, all sorts of amazing partnerships. and the energy leading up to the fire was like, it was always a grind to get everything done. It was so hard. And ever since then, yes, the fire has brought a lot of hardship, but it's been very smooth. Uh, Everybody's been receptive and open and it's almost like as if they're waiting for the serum. I've been waiting for something. I've been looking for biodynamic, you know, whatever it is. The energy has been the exact opposite of the first 10 years. So um, we make the products in an extremely interesting way I would say um, not only do we grow all the ingredients in some of the ways we've been describing but we don't use any machinery in the farm we don't have a machine we don't have a tractor and in the in the lab where we make the products we don't have any equipment so we do a solar and lunar infusion with the oils which means we grow the products we submerge them into olive oil we place them in a glass hut in the center of the farm and we leave it there for one moon cycle and the daytime and the nighttime it, revolving around the bottles is the only force of action that gets applied to the serum at any time. It naturally unwinds itself from the heating and cooling, pulsing back and forth. And then we cold press it by hand, blend it, and share it with people. That's the entire process. There's nothing added to it. Um, it's never been denatured, so it doesn't have to be like preserved or glued back together or homogenized or anything. It's just a raw... Uh, you know, beyond extra premium olive oil infused with the botanicals and the sunshine and the moonshine. That's phenomenal.
0: And this primarily is for skincare, uh, looks, you know, helping with wrinkles, these kind of things. Well, yeah, I mean, it's,
1: it's not really like the sort of the, the skincare market is about like wrinkles and anti-aging and this and that. And that's not really our game. And it's also all about like specific formula, like clinically formulated, you know, protocol, like products which are have you know hyaluronic acid and this and that. Okay, these are lab derived ingredients that are sort of the exact opposite of what we're doing, which is like a whole plant sort of entourage effect. Um, We're approaching it from self care, preventative sort of general well being. So we use these products because we don't draw the line really between our skin and our mouths. Like we're just feeding the body inside and outside Mm -hmm. with whole foods and we're nourishing ourselves from head to toe. So we make teas for our hair. We make products for our entire body. Um, and this one we sell it as a face serum because it is, you know, all the effort that goes into it means the products are rather expensive. So the, the face serum is 160 for the bottle, for a one-ounce bottle. So people pretty much exclusively use it on their face because it would cost a lot to put it on your whole body. My daughter, who has access to large amounts of the serum, puts it everywhere. And our clients from across the country have reached out with probably somewhere between 50 and 100 uses ranging from normal to bizarre, ranging from appropriate to inappropriate. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> for the first place, my mind went lube, but uh, all over the place, toe infections, lube, rosacea, eczema, you know, yeah. babies, elderly, just limitless. My brother uses it before he shaves and after he shaves. Um, we use it in dozens, and so I'm, I'm, dozens of I got a clean ways. shaven head. That's the first place that I'm putting it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Before and after. I mean, we use it before the sun and after the sun. I haven't put on sunscreen in probably eight years. I haven't washed my face with anything besides putting on our serum in probably five years. Wow. Hell yeah. So the serum can be used in a variety of ways beyond just like putting it on. So maybe if you're thinking, wow, that sounds kind of dirty. But like you can clean yourself with the serum by doing... Uh, like a five-minute or 10-minute very small circles on your face with the oil on. It's called an oil cleanse, and then you just wipe it off with a damp cloth. Or this weekend at the Commodore Perry Estate here in Austin, we're leading a group of people where we'll put the serum and some hydrosols that we distill and some of Scott's sun potion products all together in a big bowl, make a face mask and paint it on. And so that's based off of the serum as well, Uh, very Cleansing, detoxifying, nourishing. There'll be honey in it, aloe. It's just uh, so, yeah. I mean, like, I'm not saying like this is an anti aging wrinkle, this, that. I mean, I don't even think of myself in the skincare industry. We're a biodynamic farm. We love this lifestyle. We are producing high quality products that are coming right off the farm uh, that have been captured in whatever way we can. Usually that's in honey. Sometimes it's in oil. Sometimes it's in vinegar. Sometimes we distill things. And there had it not been for the fires, we'd have a whole collection of products, which we will actually within the next month or two, it's been a year now. So we've been able to regrow and remake our entire collection. And we have a variety of products coming out, the body salad, the cover crop, all super exciting things, which mean nothing to you or these people right now, but you know, in a month or two, hopefully people will be able to check them out. And, um, They are really celebrations of the season, too, because we're growing these things, and they only grow at very specific times. The Summer Solstice Serum is named that because the main ingredient is wild. It's wild St. John's wort, and it grows for two weeks on either side of the summer solstice. So we have to forage across our 300-acre property for weeks just to find enough flowers to even make this product in the first place. And we can only make it right then because it has to be made fresh, And it has to be made with that amount of sun angle. If we tried to make it in the winter, it just wouldn't work. There wouldn't be enough sun angle. So of course we could take it inside and make it on a machine like is commonly done, but be a little bit different. That's phenomenal, brother. That's so phenomenal. It really feels like all of the heart and soul that you've put into the
0: land. uh, Now you get to take a piece of that and share that with us. And I I might be doubly excited because the fact that I get to engage with that uh, for the first time in my life, my wife grew up on a farm outside of Vegas and, you know, had animals and different plants and, you know, was far from biodynamic, but she's super thrilled and I'm just thrilled. It's like, this is my first journey really into that. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see your passion in a bottle, you know, like you can bring all the work and, and all the trials and tribulations into something that, that not only is healthy for us and makes us look good, but it, it makes us
1: feel good. It's so close to being there. Like I can't even really explain it to people. You're, you're just missing the actual physical you being in that location. But this it's it has not in any way been denatured. It's almost as if a bottle was like held above the farm and just kind of picked up some stuff and <laughs> brought it to you. There's been so little that we've done to it. We've just created the space for it to occur. You know what I mean? And it's arising naturally. That St. John's where it was growing there before I moved there. It's like... That's one of the things about biodynamics is that the farm or the place has its own individuality. It's a personality, like a person. So the farm wants to be making this serum. That's why it's grown the St. John's War, and that's why it planted these dreams in my head and told me to come move there. Um, so it's all I, I mean, I'm trying to let let this pass through me to to our our. We used to consider them guests because they were coming to us. So it feels weird to call them clients, which is probably more appropriate now. I was about to say to our guests who are the people who buy our products yeah. in my, in my mind, but oh, um, I'm excited to stay there with that with yeah. the serum brother. Yeah, exactly. It's been excellent having
0: you on where can people find you and where can people purchase this amazing stuff?
1: So we are um, in a, it depends on what city you're in. We're in a bunch of really cool retail partners, but the easiest way online is on sun potions website and then on CapBeauty.com, capbeauty.com cap beauty.com, which is another amazing website. But you can find us on Instagram at be here Farm, And um, you could email me whenever you want at love at And I would love to talk to you about our products and our farm. And that invitation goes out to everyone who, who buys a product to, to just connect with us and talk. And um, we love doing that. Phenomenal, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me.